And now, a word from our sponsor. Lightning Recap. In 50 terrifying real ghost stories, author Eve S. Evans gives us 50 ghost stories that are terrifyingly real. Do you like ghost stories? Are true tales of terror your thing? Then you should read the wonderful books of author Eve S. Evans. I just read 50 Terrifying Real Ghost Stories, and let me tell you, it is a chilling collection of stories, all taken from real-life paranormal encounters. You can find Eve S. Evans' work on Amazon, and you really should, because these are some of the finest true ghost stories you'll ever hear. The little girl with no friends reads contentedly enough at her small wooden desk during recess. We pronounced it recess. She sits by the corner of the soft board, likes to tenderly peel the crepe paper sheets that Mrs. Lobo has staked to, to its expanse away from their moorings. From her school bag, she pulls out Edie Blyton, rolled doll. Books about heroic friends solving crime, tales of spunky weirdos forceful enough to make dents in their worlds. In second grade, you read for the same reason you eat candy bars, not to see yourself reflected at you as if from mirrors. And in this case, that's just as well. The little girl does not fall into either category. Lightning recap. In Rubber Dust by Sarah Thanka Matthews, a little girl's first friendship shapes her future. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's Short Story Short Podcast. I myself am here, and also here is... Uh, I. I. Perfect. (laughs) And, uh, hey, Christy. Yes? If I decided to put my eye tracks on a short story over the past week... What short story would that be? Your Eyes Would Have Tracked Rubber Dust by Sarah Thankham Matthews, published in Kenyon Review. Yes. Highbrow Kenyon Review, I should say. Highbrow. Mm, yes. yes. None of this middle brow like we've been doing. Um, <laughs> this is a, another charming young person comes of discovering friendship story. And part of that, I think, is a wonderful expression of how kids like me, and probably you. (laughs) Probably. uh, How we dealt with the world when we were kids. and if this were anywhere other than Kenyon Review, I would say it was fan service. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do have to say, that kind of story can be very cloying is a strong word, but it has its sort of expectation of emotional resonance. But here, 100%, uh, Sarah Matthews creates an incredibly smart powerful world that she lives in that is so different and you can see that even in the first paragraph with the pronunciations 
Yes, I loved those little asides. Uh, they're they're all in parentheses of uh, of how different things are pronounced in her world, and it definitely gives you a, a better sense of her world, and it moors you more firmly in it. Yeah, and I love because uh, I was trying to think. Well, you know, as I was reading it, like, what are these? What language is this? And then you know, when you get to the name Anuj, and then the uh, the Hindi script. I said, oh, it's an Indian story, uh, which is very, very fascinating because it's, a. I don't know, have we read anything that explored uh, Indian culture at all? Not that I can recall. No, no, now Asian that we've been doing culture. this for a year, they're all running together. Yeah, they really are, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, the most interesting character in here She's great, but I adore the little boy, Anuj. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. And there's 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 a heartbreak here too um, between you know Anuj and uh, our, our main character and what happens you know to Anuj and everything, but. He is, I do like him, but I also, there is some conflict there, some internal conflict for me as a reader at what uh, Anuj and our protagonist are, are doing to the other little boy. Yeah. Uh, uh, Curran is the interesting right, target there, I think, is the best way to look at it. And is, interestingly reflective of our main character uh, in the very first uh, uh, real mention is uh, in front of her sits a boy who has no friends. His name is, is Karen. We pronounced it Curran. <laughs> uh, and a lantern jaw, bulbous staring eyes and a stink that nestles close follows him like a stray. Uh, one, beyond everything, that's a beautiful set of imagery. Uh, and scent imagery always gets me. Uh, like, if you really want to affect me, scent imagery and uh, any attack at the eyes. Uh, those are those are the two things. I also have issues with eye things. <laughs> <laughs> then I've got a Spalding Gray lecture for you to listen to sometime. Ooh, I will not. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely... There's there's a, a, a bullying aspect to what's going on, but they're they're young enough that you can sort of forgive them for getting caught up in this this action that they're performing against Curran, and it's 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 hard to forgive them because there there definitely is that sense of this kid doesn't deserve it, and we've all been this kid, especially you know those of us who you know grew up probably like the protagonist in, in that sense of, of sort of solitude and, you know, having friendships that swung in and out and that, that, that tumultuousness uh, of your, your friendship circle during those formative years. And, but there is that sense of, it's very heady, that sense of togetherness uh, almost that you, that people get when they're, they're teaming up against one person and it can become poisonous. Hmm. I, I very much appreciate 
the way that we are given a character that we are supposed to love because they represent so many of us. And I kind of think it's being thrown back in our face that we are all those. I think you're right about that. Um, also, Rubber Dust, a very, very misleading uh, title for those of us Americans. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it can be. Uh, the, the rubber dust refers to all those little shavings that you get from erasers when you, you know, like, um, well, erase things with them. And yeah, what they do is they they torture poor Curran with the, the rubber dust. And, you know, it's a, it's a small thing, but those small things can add up. But yeah, I definitely, when I was, when I first found the story, I was like, I don't know what the story is about. I'm not getting... Um, much from the title, but I'm curious. It, that, that title definitely pulls you in because it's like, what is she talking about? And then when you get into it and you, you realize what it's about, I think it's very fitting that this was titled Rubber Dust, that it centers on that one, that, that, that inanimate object that they're using uh, against Curran. Absolutely, and I think it is the impetus for what I think a lot of this story is trying to say is you have, you will at some point be a jackass. And yes. how you deal with the jackass you are is what defines you as a person, or in this case, as a character. Um, and, you know, the way that she tries to uh, interact with, Karin, I'm sorry, Curran, uh, that's how we said it. Um, and that, you know, the whole, uh, I'm sorry, Curran, the girl says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He turns his head, she wants to cry. Sorry, please, I'm sorry. I won't tell ma'am, is all he mumbles. And that exchange is, she wants absolution for her actions. Uh, and he is more focused on uh, that he's not going to get her punished. And it's that sort of, almost a disconnect. It's the same sort of idea, but she doesn't want to get, it's not that only that she doesn't want to get in trouble, it's that she's actually troubled with her action. Yes. And that, that broke the tension that I was feeling all along because you know that something is going to happen, that this can't go on continually, uh, their, their actions towards Curran without it, it coming to some sort of a head. And so you definitely wonder, well, which way is it going to break? And it's interesting that it kind of breaks both ways. You know, is she gonna be sorry that she, she did what she did or is she gonna be sorry that she got caught and it ends up with her being sorry and him thinking that she's just sorry that she she could have gotten caught. And that also I think speaks to just, just that one line, I won't tell ma'am is all he mumbles. That tells you so much about Curran. That this kid is kind of cynical as far as, as believing whether people are actually truly apologetic. He doesn't see or, or believe in any sort of apology from her. And, and that probably tells you something about his you know, the rest of his uh, existence. Yeah, I think, and I love that when she goes back home, she, she says to her father, uh, can you beat me, please? She asks her father. 
but he just changed the TV channel to the India-Pakistan match and then to American news. Uh, she locks herself in the cupboard and pinches her legs all over. That idea of self-flagellation almost, uh, mm -hmm. of atonement through uh, physical penance is all over the history of literature. Um, but here, it's so simple. It's almost writ small. And it's partly because these are characters whose experience of the world is so nested that we that she believes that is part of making amends it's cleansing herself and in this case it's for herself um but this is also highly unbelievable uh because no father would change from the pakistan india match to watch american news it just wouldn't happen well if the pakistan india match ended that would probably maybe be the impetus to then, okay, well, the match is over, time for the news. That's that's my thought. But uh, I, I wanted to touch on the father a little bit because there was a moment I really enjoyed with him uh, when she gets sent home with a note, did not behave today, slapped fellow people badly. And her father says, next time, slap him well. I loved that. That's that's beautiful. <laughs> if you're going to misbehave, misbehave a little better. <laughs> yeah, I felt a little seen by that statement. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit. Uh, I really enjoyed this story. I thought there was so much. Uh, it wasn't quite an adorable story, but I thought it was very telling. It had a sweetness to it that interacted with my experience of my youth. Um, although I was neither a little girl nor of any real ethnicity, uh, just a little bit of everything, <laughs> but I really loved the, the use of her grounding literally in this sort of world as she moved from being just the sort of the bookish little girl that is in every class onto interacting with a broader aspect. And yes, we did have the sadness of a, uh, who, you know, he lost his sight um, probably because he was staring at the sun or maybe that's why he knew he could stare at the sun. Um, yeah. That's maybe I, I, that was my read on it was he could tolerate it because he was losing his sight. Like she has to shield her eyes. And for mm -hmm. him, it's 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 fine because he can't see very well anyhow. So it's you know, or something is occluding his vision to the extent that that it doesn't bother him, even though it might it's probably still going to damage his eyes. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I I really was fascinated by the way that this story ended, which I feel you called it a sweet story. I I call it bittersweet until the very end there's a, there's a definitely a bittersweetness to it in that that first friendship how it shapes her uh and but then you get to the end and this this writing group uh this writing group oh my gosh <laughs> and and the thing is is that we get this switch in narrative perspective from third person the little girl to all of a sudden we're plunged into first person and it's towards the very end of the story so this is this is something that is hard to pull off well you know that's that's 
breaking a rule and you have to be able to to do that well in order to pull it off and she does pull it off uh, but then you know she writes a story about all of this and then tells it to gives it to her writing group they're mystified and slightly uncomfortable and then what her one of the writing group members says is the relevance of this seems grounded in a kind of cultural specificity that the narrator doesn't include the audience in on and if he's talking about this story I want to say he can go straight to hell because (laughs) it's what what cultural it's maddening because this is such a <laughs> Chris is Chris has gotten my my very perturbed feeling is is turning into giggles on Chris's side um it's it's broad and it's the human experience and it's childhood and it's friendship and, and, and bullying and, and targeting and learning from your experiences and loss and all of that. And he's like, well, you mentioned the India-Pakistan match. So, you know, that's, that's too, too you, you've automatically excluded me as a, I'm going to go ahead and assume white male. <laughs> so that I can honestly see that happening in real life. I don't know if it did or if that's just part of the story, but I can see it happening in real life. And it, it just the fact that I, I, I'm like, yeah, I can see that being said infuriates me. I'm going to make a meme, which is your face during that, that says underneath it, screams in writer group experience. Uh, yes, yes. I think that's, that's honestly what it is. And yes, that is absolutely true. And if they were using the Iowa method of critique, oh, that is that is a rough go. And I, I'm, I understand why you're not allowed to do anything but ask questions at the end, why you're not allowed to speak during the whole thing. But oh my gosh, is that a really difficult thing for a human being to undergo? And uh, uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not doing that right now. So yeah, like I, I can just see that turning somebody really defensive and wanting to be like, what are you talking about cultural specificity? Like, this is this is human. This is something I, I think we can all relate to. And I think that the, the very fact that he he invalidates that, that this member of the writing group is, is what pisses me right off. Yes, I, I might've been that guy once or twice. I'm not going to lie. Uh. <laughs> You saw you saw more of yourself than you wanted to. <laughs> uh, every professor at Emerson was a Iowa grad of some sort, so that what all of our writing classes were, and uh, yeah, and I think actually, honestly, I really believe it is the methodology that makes so many of us such terrible people. <laughs> so bad just oh yeah you get you get free reign to bash somebody and they're not allowed to speak up in their own defense which i again i understand the reasoning it just sucks and so you can just say whatever you want carte blanche almost and without really any repercussions because the other person just has to sit there meekly and quietly and fuming or crying or whatever is happening in their head (laughs) 
We never had anyone cry. We did have one person. They weren't. They hadn't read yet, but they were tearing into everyone. I was not participating in this one. I was just watching uh, the fallout, and literally took the stack of papers for the class, threw it, and walked out, and never came back. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. See, I didn't. I didn't necessarily cry in the moment. It wasn't until afterwards. This was my first experience with the, the Iowa model of critique. And I was talking to my professor and he's like, you okay? You kind of took a, a pretty severe beating in there. And, and this is a man who could, who could give lashings of critique and did not hesitate. So for him to say that, I was like, I started getting a little teary eyed because I was like, oh, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just me being oversensitive and, and having thin skin about my writing. No, that actually was kind of freaking brutal. But looking back on that particular story, well-deserved. <laughs> <laughs> You came by it honest. <laughs> I really, really did. Although one more thing I do want to say, you can get some delightful little little moments from those because one of my, this was grad school, one of my cohort, uh, she was discussing another, another writer's story that was like set during the gold rush in California. And uh, her, her compliment for it was that it was just racist enough. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Got anything else on this one? No, I think that's all I need to go and uh, <laughs> still reel from the bruises I'm remembering. <laughs> like, again, well-deserved bruises. <laughs> uh, PTSD, bless it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Hey, 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 hey Christy. Hey, 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 what? I got a little extra time. What should I read next week? Well, since you have a little extra time, you should read The Radiant Car Thy Sparrows Drew by Catherine M. Valenti, published in Clark's World. Woohoo! A publication that has published me and an author I really, really like. So, woo. In fact, I think she may have written for me previously. I think she wrote for Journey Planet at one point. Nice. Yes, she's sweet. All right. In that case, let it be known that this has been Short Story short podcast.